Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. If you have a Bible with you, if you would turn to the book of Habakkuk, it is a book in the Old Testament, almost in the very back of the Old Testament. Uh, It's one of the very back minor prophets, the book of Habakkuk. And we've been doing a series this fall over the minor prophets, and we are um, excited about that. Uh, What's really good about these books are these little small, short, brief books that are in the back of the Old Testament, and they have really a lot of powerful stuff in them. The descriptions of God are awesome, and it really covers, as we've said before, just a wide range of experience, and it's good to find ourselves in those experiences. Let me give you a little bit of the historical background that uh, is going on in these passages. It's kind of important to know this. Uh, if we understand what the Bible meant to the original audience, we understand what it meant, it helps us understand what it means. The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. So I want to take just a second just to give us some background so we can kind of get the context, kind of see what Habakkuk was seeing. We can kind of find ourselves in this story and in his letter. It's a three-chapter book that he wrote. Um, So in 1050, Israel became a monarchy. Their first king was a guy named King Saul. He reigned for 42 years. He was followed by King David who was a king for 40 years, and he was followed by King Solomon for another 40 years. In the year 930, 120 years later, I'm going to take this off. I think this is rubbing up against my uh, microphone. I'm sorry. Um, It's a nice coat. You get to see that. (laughs) So in 930, uh, the kingdom split. It divided. In the northern kingdom, there was 12 tribes in Israel, 10 of them became part of the northern part of the kingdom, and it was called Israel. The south uh, was two tribes, and it was Judah and Benjamin, and they retained the name Judah. The capital of Israel, which was Jerusalem, stayed in Judah. And so that happened uh, in 930. In the year 722, the northern kingdom, Israel, was conquered by Assyria. Assyria came in, destroyed them, exiled them, and, and they were no more. Uh, Judah lasted a little longer. They were a little more compliant with the Lord. They served him a little better. And, but in 586, they were destroyed by Babylon. Now, Habakkuk is going to deal with this particular uh, nation, Judah, and the impending invasion of Babylon. And so what was going on in, in Judah? They had a, some, several bad kings. One of them uh, was a guy named Manasseh. Uh, he reigned for about 40 years. He was terrible. There was a guy named Ammon who came after him. He was terrible. And it was just a, during that time, God said, I am going to, I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm done with this nation. They're going to have to experience my judgment. But before that judgment happened, a king gained a power named Josiah. And Josiah was a great king. He was terrific. And he did a lot of reforms in Judah. They lasted from 622 B.C. to 609 B.C., But in 609, he went to war with Egypt, and he was killed in the battle. And after that, uh, Judah became sort of a vassal. It became sort of underneath the umbrella of the Egyptian empire. 
And during that time, they got worse. And it's pretty certain that's when uh, Habakkuk was writing his thing. He's looking at Judah. He's remembering when they were. Can I get a good microphone here? Is that, is that a handheld mic around? You guys may not can hear this. This is driving me crazy. So let me do this. How's that? Cool. Can I put my coat back on? Let me do that. <laughs> All right, so here's what's going on. It's, it's in, in Judah. So they're in, in Babylon. So uh, Judah has this real surge for about 13 years of really getting things right under Josiah. And it's going really, really well. And then what happens? He gets killed. And then in 605, um, Egypt is in this battle at Chemishish uh, with uh, Babylon. Babylon wins. So Babylon kind of thinks, well, great. Now we've beaten Egypt, so we're going to take over Judah. And Judah doesn't like that. So that goes on for a while. And then in 597, Babylon invades. And they conquer Judah. And they take their wealth, they take all their skilled laborers, all their leaders, everybody, and they take them into Babylon. And they just leave the poor and some farmers there to take care of the land. That's what happens. But then in 586, there's another rebellion. Judah rebels against Babylon, and Babylon just comes in and absolutely destroys the place. They, they burn everything down, they destroy the temples, they destroy all their buildings, they just turned the whole nation into rubble. And so Habakkuk, is, his, this, his prophecy deals with this phenomenon, the idea that, that Judah is about to be invaded by Babylon. And so if you read Habakkuk, you could go to chapter 1, verse 1. And what Habakkuk's book is, it's kind of interesting, it's just a prayer. It's just a conversation he has back and forth with God. And it goes, in the, you can read the first four verses in chapter 1, and Habakkuk asks God, Two questions that you may have asked God before in your life. He asked him, how long and why? How long and why? And what he saw was violence, and he saw exploitation. And he said, God, how long is this going to go on? Why are you not doing anything about it? And he goes, I'm just going to wait for an answer. And he was real honest with God. So God gives him an answer. And he goes, the reason it's going on is because I am raising up the Babylonians to come in and invade and conquer your nation. And then Habakkuk has another response. You know what he says? They're worse than we are. That's not good. I mean, we're violent and we are exploitive. But those guys are way more violent and exploitive. It'd be like somebody complaining about your country, America. You're a prophet, and you're complaining about, oh, America's got this wrong, America's got that wrong. You say, God, how long is this stuff going to keep going on? He goes, oh, I'm bringing in ISIS to come conquer your country. And the prophet goes, wait, what? 
They're worse than we are. Like, that's not a good thing. And so this is what's happening. And so then Habakkuk is concerned about this in chapter 1. He talks about that. Then we get to chapter 2. And Habakkuk is really dealing with this phenomenon that they're going to be invaded by an evil hoarding empire. And there's nothing they can do about it. And he sits there and he goes, you can read chapter 2, verse 1. He talks about, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to get alone with God. I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to wait for him to speak to me. And God speaks to him. And he says, what I'm going to tell you, I want you to write down. I want you to encore it. I want you to inscribe it on tablets because I want the guys who read this to run. I want them to be able to go after it. And so he does that. And in verse 4... God tells Habakkuk something that is very powerful in Christianity, a verse. It's Habakkuk 2.4, he says, all these things are going to happen, but the righteous one will live by faith. You'll live by faith. And so he's telling him, no matter what happens, here's what needs to go on in you. You need to be living by faith. You need to be living by trust. Now, what is faith? Faith is simply believing what God says is true, regardless of what's going on around you. It's just believing what God says, what God's rights is what we should follow. It's what we should do. It's where we're going to go, regardless of what other noise, what other circumstances, whatever else is going on around us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that it's impossible to please God without faith. God loves when human beings have the courage to believe what he says and act on it. There's something about God that just loves the, the, the humanity's a weak race. We're a broken race. We're a sinful, self-centered race. But when an individual of that race since I am going to believe you, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm broken, I'm beaten, I'm fallible, I'm a failure, but I am going to trust God. There's something in God that goes, I love that kind of courage. Courage in the broken, courage in the conflicted, to connect with God is a powerful, powerful thing. And this is what Habakkuk says, and Habakkuk goes on. And in the rest of Habakkuk chapter 2, God begins to talk about the Babylonians. And he pronounces these six woes on them. And a woe is just a reason for doom. And there's six reasons he talks about, about why the Babylonians are going to be destroyed, why they're going to come to their end. And in chapter 2, verse 14, amidst this, this deal, they're dealing with this Babylonian invasion and what the implications are, God says something very powerful. Here's the vision. He says, the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. God's telling him, listen, this is what your faith needs to be grounded in. No matter what is happening around you, no matter what you're experiencing in your life and in the moment, know this, inevitably, this is where history's moving. It's moving toward a day when the entire planet is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, just like water covers the sea. And he goes on with that. And so then we get to chapter 3. And let's look at this real quick. I want to just scan, if you would, this last chapter, 
because it is just so rich and it's so powerful. There's a couple places. Let's read again the first six verses of chapter 3 and get Habakkuk's message here. Verse 2, Habakkuk's praying to the God. He says, Lord, I heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. Then in verse 3, he says, God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. And what Habakkuk is doing is as he is pondering the fate of Judah, he's pondering the fact they're going to be invaded and exiled. There's going to be incredible suffering and incredible loss. He begins to say this prayer to God. He goes, God, you know what? Revive what you've done in the past. Revive what you've done. And then he remembers what God's like. And he begins to describe the exodus. And in the Exodus, he describes how God just marched across the desert. He describes God as this being who is just marching across this plain to come and get his people out of Egypt. And then once he gets them, he walks with them to their destiny, which was to go into the promised land. And he goes, and he just thinks about God's history with Israel. He thinks about what he's like. And he just says this, you march on forever. What a powerful, powerful statement. God, you march on forever. Nothing gets in his way. That's what he's doing. And he's contemplating this. And then he goes to chapter 3. And he closes this way. Let's look at verse 17. In verse 16, he talks about how his heart's pounding, how he's quivering, how he's just thinking about this invasion and what's going to happen and all the loss and all the ruin. And he's just like, oh, my goodness, we're going to experience this judgment. But then he goes into verse 17, and he says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. And he enables me to tread on the heights of the earth. It's powerful what he's saying there. He is, he is contemplating what's about to happen. He is quivering. But then there's a declaration in his heart, and he says, you know, I don't care what luxuries I might lose or what necessities may no longer be mine. I don't care because God is my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength, and he enables me. And he talked about the deer Climbing a mountain. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I, again, I went to YouTube this week to see this, these, these deers. And there's, the deers actually can climb steep cliffs. Deers and goats can. They get and they climb. And it's just an amazing thing to do. 
They see this obstacle, this barrier, this cliff that you're not supposed to be able to, and they just go up it. And they go all the way to the top. And then what Habakkuk said is because the sovereign God is my strength, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to climb the walls. I'm going to climb the barriers. He is going to enable me, and I am going to stand on the heights of the earth. And he says, God is my Savior. God is with me. God is sovereign. He's enabling me. He's empowering me. There is something with me, something going on inside me as I connect to him is greater than any obstacle, than any circumstance, than any disaster, than anything I may face in life. Sovereign God, my Savior is with me. I will not lose. I will triumph in the end. Years ago, when I was, uh, before I was married, I was a campus minister here at the University of Georgia, and um, I had a good friend that was on staff with me, and we would go play basketball. We were all both former high school basketball players, and we'd go to this gym we had way back when called Stegman Hall. It was an old sweatshop. This is before the Ramsey Center and the, the nice places to play basketball. We played in a sweatshop, and we would play basketball there on Fridays. We just loved going there, and we'd play and have a good afternoon. Well, one time we were there, and we got in, we got in a game, and our team won, and then we won another game. And you want to get there and kind of hold the court for a couple hours and just keep playing. It's always fun to do that. And in came these guys, and they were the top intramural team at UGA. It's about eight of them. And I'll, I'll never forget their name. They called their name April Wine. I don't know why I remember it. I don't know why they called them that. That was their name, April Wine. And they came in, and so they got on the court and played us. And they killed us. We played to 15. They probably beat us 15 to 2. We barely scored. And, and I remember after the game, because I was a good Christian guy, and I'm a nice sport, I always do that. I said, hey, good game, good game. They're like, yeah, right. And they said that. Yeah, right. <laughs> kind of like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I was so upset. I just went home. I called it a day. It was Friday. Literally the next week, that weekend, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. A guy had gotten to lead to the Lord that summer who played for the University of Georgia. He was on our Final Four team. In fact, he was the MVP of the Final Four team in All-America. His name was James Banks. And in fact, if you want to look at the game, we, he was on the team that beat North Carolina to go to the Final Four. He was the leading scorer in the game. And James was playing professional basketball in Europe, and the, there was a contract dispute, so he was in town. He called me up and said, hey, let's get together and do some Bible studies. I want to growing my faith. So we got together. And I remember, I literally remember we were at this place called Bennigan's, and I was with James, and I was, we were doing a Bible study, and I said, James, I'm really excited about doing a Bible study with you. But will you do something for me? <laughs> I said, let's go play. Can you play? You know, he's a pro. He doesn't play with people like us, but he's like, can you come to the gym with me on Friday? And play. He said, sure, man. So cool. So I got James and me. I got my friend. I got two other friends. And we went there. And we got there early. And we won a couple games. And then here comes April Wine. <laughs> and they saw James Banks. They thought, oh, we want to. And they got out there. And we were playing. 
And it was a really close game. Till the end, James just took the ball and he scored every time. Pro basketball players are a lot better than everybody. Like, a lot better. I never realized how much better they were. They are a lot better. And he is a lot bigger and faster and strong. And he just scored every, and they couldn't stop him. And so they came out again, again. And, and for about the first three or four games, they were really close games. After a while, we started killing them. And it was wonderful. Because on my team was a basketball player, at least for, that was literally, in that context, he was invincible. He wasn't going to lose. He could not be defeated. And this is how Habakkuk is approaching this horrible season of judgment, this horrible season of having their, their, their country ransacked. He's saying the sovereign God is going to be my strength. God is my Savior. He's going to enable me. And despite what's going on around me, I don't know how we're going to make it through, but I am going to climb the wall. I'm going to climb the cliffs, and I'm going to be on top of the mountain. Here is the powerful message of Habakkuk. He goes from being a guy who's asking how long and why. Chapter 3, verse 16, he's quivering in his bones. He's horrified to being a guy who is just incredibly empowered by faith. And what it is, is he has one revelation. He has a revelation of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. You see, when you and I think of sovereignty, when the Bible talks about sovereignty, oftentimes what it talks about is a king. It's a monarch in a kingdom. We don't do monarchs anymore. At least we are not a monarchy. But in a, in a place where there is a monarch, the word of the king is the final word. He makes laws. He, he decides where resources go. He is the final word. But there's another way of understanding sovereignty. And I think it relates more to God than even that. It's not the sovereignty of a king over their kingdom. It's the sovereignty of an author over his story. See, a king over his kingdom, people do things they aren't, but they, they, what, things go on. An author over his story, he has complete control. The characters are who he says they are. The narrative, the, the, the plot develops just like he says it will. It is completely up to him. And see, this is who God is. He is the author of the story. He is the controller. He's the director of the plot. He decides. And this is who he is. And Habakkuk gets a vision of this. He gets the understanding of this. And he says, you know, I, I don't care about luxuries and life. I don't care what happens to me. I want to connect to that plot. I want to connect to that narrative. I want to be where you are. And there's power in that. There's freedom in that. When what matters in our life are not the luxuries, not the tapestries, 
not what's going on around us. What matters to us is that we are genuinely, powerfully, dynamically connected to the plot God is writing. Then you're something else, man. Your life is something else. So there's chapters in those stories, several chapters, that the chapters of the defeated who come to him, and he makes them triumphant. The stories of the broken that come to him, and they put them back together. It's a story of, 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 of the defeated who learn to win. It's a story of the sinful and the contaminated who come to him and get free and get clean. This is what he does. The sovereign Lord. He is my strength. He makes me to climb the heights. I don't know if you know him or not. You may be like our some like James and David sharing today. They grew up in a Christian home, kind of wandered away from it. I want to encourage you to make the sovereign Lord your strength, to put your life in his hands like Habakkuk's encourages to. That is really the essence of faith, to live by faith. Trust what he says. Trust he controls the plot. Trust he's taking the narrative where it's supposed to go and being a part of that. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful book. We are just so moved by these extraordinary descriptions of you as a God who just marches on, as a God who is sovereign, as a God who is our Savior, a God who is literally invincible. We see human history is just a story you're writing. You control the plot. You control the narrative. You're directing it in the direction it should go. Help us have the faith and the courage to know that regardless of what is going on around us, if this is going on within us, this type of faith, this type of trust in a sovereign God, then we'll climb, the, we'll climb the heights. We'll climb the heights. We thank you for your presence. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.